Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And I want to say the unnamed they of Scripture, the unnamed they's of Scripture, that's most of us most of the time. That the things we do that really please God and bless people and make a difference, we're not getting any press for them, nor do we want any or expect it. We're just doing what comes natural for those who've come to understand the power and the love and the grace of our Lord. Today we have part two of Words and Works. Our message takes up where Pastor Sam left off yesterday in verse 31 of Mark 7. Our focus today will be the deaf mute that Jesus heals, and into chapter 8 we will see Jesus feed the hungry, 4,000 of them. Let's listen in. Again we read in verse 31, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Another hurting soul with friends indeed. But note, they leave Tyre, it says, in Sidon. These are 30, 40 miles apart. They're on the coast. Mentioned both of them have great harbors. And so here's the picture. If Sidon is actually a part of the picture in the scene, he went north to go south. Why would he do that? Well, I thought of a couple reasons. Because to travel from Tyre to Sidon, you're on the coast the whole way. If it were me, I certainly would do that. In fact, when we had our first son, we weren't even Christians yet. We rarely prayed, but once in a while we did. Anyway, we uh, rented a motorhome in Southern California and drove all the way up the coast to Washington State to visit Pam's dad, who was living up there. And uh, as we were driving back, we decided to come down the valley. And I don't know what made me say it or think it, but I did out loud. I'm like, we should pray that God, if he ever moves us, never moves us to this valley. Because everything up the coast was glorious. And I don't remember anything coming down. Well, there's some beautiful trees in Oregon, and there's some beautiful spots as you move down. But we went all the way from Southern Cal up and back. And I just want to say, if you haven't ever traveled from Southern California up the coast, it takes a lot longer but it's so worth the drive. They were walking, so they really got to enjoy it. Here's the other reason. It's actual quiet time. Even if the crowds were following, they would have to spread out to do it. He would have time to talk with his disciples, to instruct them and love on them and encourage them. So he goes from Tyre to Sidon down to Decapolis. That's the 10 cities that that guy who'd been demon-possessed there in Gadara the legion of demons cast out of him. He went from city to city to city, proclaiming what wonderful things God had done for him and how he'd had compassion upon him. So now they come to that region. A man's brought to him. He's a man with friends. And I love that they identify the friends with the word they. They came to him. They took him aside. They. Why? Because... They're not the hero in the story. They're not the one with the need. They're not the one who can meet the need, but they are so important in the story. And I want to say the unnamed they of scriptures, the unnamed they's of scripture, that's most of us most of the time. That the things we do that really please God and bless people and make a difference, we're not getting any press for them, nor do we want any or expect it. 
We're just doing what comes natural for those who've come to understand the power and the love and the grace of our Lord. They brought to him one who was deaf and struggled to speak clearly. They begged him to put his hand on them. One of the things you'll see if you read through all four Gospels, again, highly recommended in one sitting. It doesn't take that long. You can watch a movie you've already seen twice in two hours, or you can read the four Gospels in two hours. And if you're like, well, I've read the Gospels. I don't know. How many times have you watched Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or some of you are like, never saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm 12 years old. And so, uh, but anyway, never mind that. Here's what you will observe. Jesus rarely works a miracle the same way he did it last time. And I think there are good reasons for that. He doesn't want us to pattern him. He doesn't want us to think we've figured out the formula. If you come this way and you say these things or, or he does these things, you know it's going to work. You just come to him humbly. You lay the need before him, trusting that he will do the very best thing. And however he does it, who cares? Just that he does it. Isn't that what we're actually coming for and hoping in? Well, he took him aside from the multitude. And here's one you'll never read of anywhere else. He put his fingers in his ears. Now, listen, they asked him to touch. They asked him to touch their friend. I don't think he expected this. And then he spat and touched his tongue again. I'm hoping the disciples didn't watch this and say, that's how we're going to do it next time. Yeah. First, you got to put your fingers in their ears. Then you got to spit and then you got to grab their tongue. It's odd, is it not? And, and it's just odd enough that, that it's a warning not to try to figure out how to do it. If you are going to pray for someone for healing and we're instructed to pray for one another. You just pray and, and, and trust that God will do the very best, that he might do what you're asking. He might do it later. He might do it now. He might never do it. He can do something better. But anyway, it says he looked up to heaven. He sighed and said, Apaphatha, excuse me, Apaphatha, that is be opened. And immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. I've quoted Isaiah 29 earlier on. It was 29, 13. It was Jesus' response to the religious leaders when, well, I read this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is from me. Let me read you just a little more of that. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrine, the commandment of men. It's important to note only four verses later in the same book. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 17, listen to it. Is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. The eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One 
of Israel. As he's rebuking, and that was in our last study, the religious leaders quoting from Isaiah, had they followed him, and certainly his disciples are at both scenes. They were at the first, they heard the rebuke, now they're at the second, and they see him fulfilling this prophecy literally right before them. The humble shall increase their joy. I'm sure that woman whose daughter was just freed from the demon was among those humble who were greatly increasing their joy. The deaf hearing the words of the book, that's this guy. No longer will he be unable to hear God's word. No wonder the common people heard him gladly. No wonder his words and his works always agreed. He always did those things that pleased the Father. He always did those things that made a difference a difference in people's lives. Well, verse 36 says he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus did all things well. He did always those things that pleased the Father. Well, last little story for us this morning as we continue the narrative of Jesus' walk on this planet. In those days, chapter 8, verse 1, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because... They have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, I'm pretty certain, though I can't be absolutely sure, so I'm not saying thus says the Lord, I'm pretty sure he didn't pause at this moment. Why? Because if he had, they would have said, uh, ooh, 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 me, me. And he'd say, yes, Peter. And he'd say, send them away. Because again, that's what they did when the 5,000 were hungry. That's when they did when the woman was bugging them. But he doesn't give them an opportunity. He preempts their go-to option when he says, and if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. If you're one who has a normal or ordinary response or reaction when there's a problem, you might want to kind of, you know, take a breath and think a little bit. When my boys were very little, we... Um, we put them in uh, Christian school over at Chico Christian. Their teacher was named Bev and uh, still a dear friend in the Lord. She was the teacher of my older son's class at that time and, uh, and then later became principal of the school and has worked with us in forming Hope Academy. But anyway, spent a lot of time with her and her three little girls. And I had developed a habit. Whenever my boys came in to ask for something, I just said no. I didn't even wait for them to get done. I'm just like, nope. Not going to do it. It's not going to happen. And then I'm around her and I noticed her go-to is always yes. And I'm like, that will lead to problems. Turns out her plan was working better than mine. Because often what they were asking for was reasonable. And I was just sort of like busy and don't have time for that and don't want to think about it. And if you have a go-to option and it's no or no way or probably not, might want to rethink that. I saw 
her with those girls and, and, and the way she responded to them. And, and it's like, if there's like, can we have ice cream for breakfast? Why not, honey? Have ice cream for breakfast. It's, no, she wouldn't do that. That was my sister, Tina. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but here's what I observed is that yes is better than no. And if there's not a good reason for no, then yes is a good answer. I've kind of tempered the whole thing over time. I'm like, maybe, maybe works. And they're like, well, how long till maybe becomes yes or no? And I'll go, as soon as I have a moment to think about it. So sometimes I don't want to give a quick answer. It's not always the smart answer. But I want to leave the option open. So you should observe, if you come to me with what you consider to be a great idea, I will almost always say, hey, Give us some time to pray about that. I'll mention it to the guys. The elders will pray about it. If you come to me with a completely absurd idea, I'm still too honest to say, yeah, yeah, we'll think about that. I'm like, that's a stupid idea. And uh, that will never happen here, not while I'm here. But I want to tell you, that rarely happens. Most people have something on their heart and they come. And if you have something in their heart, you really do need to come because I'm not real good at thinking, okay, let's see, that person ought to do this and this person would be great at that. It's just not how I'm wired. I'm wired to do this and to let God tell you what he wants you to do. But I am saying, come to us. If you have a vision for ministry, if you see something we're not doing and you don't want to just come and complain about it, you actually would like to be a part of the solution to it then come to me or to Pastor Bud or Pastor Dick or to any of the pastors, Pastor Jacob, come to us, Pastor Daniel, come and say, hey, the Lord put this on my heart. Could we do something like this? And be prepared to say how you could help be a part of either organizing that, because you can be sure I won't be able to, or, or helping it to happen. So anyway, they come uh, with their friend, and, uh, and, and Jesus deals with them earlier. She comes on behalf of her daughter and Jesus cast out the demon. Now there's this great crowd. He's been feeding them spiritually for three days. That's what he says. They've continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I'm sure they brought food with them. But now that food supply would be exhausted. He says, I can't send them away hungry to their houses. They'll faint on the way. Some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, I can't help but saying, it seems a little strange that they don't remember the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish because didn't that just happen recently? I know it was, you know, he did so many miraculous things that it, maybe it was starting to get hard to keep track of them. But when somebody feeds 5,000 men plus all the women and children with five loaves and two fish, you would think that would be the first thing that pops into their mind. I bet he's going to do something like last time or, or just watch and wait and see what happens here. But they, again, they go to their go-to. How in the heck are we supposed to do that, Lord? You know, we don't have the resources and, and you know we're limited in what we're capable of and look how many of there, them there are. And all I want to say about that is we do the very same thing. We petition the Lord and he answers and we're like, Lord, you're so good. And then we have another problem, maybe the very same problem. And we're like, great, what are we going to do now? What are you going to do now, Lord? Well, anyway, I can't believe they forgot you know, 
there are similarities here, enough that some Bible students and commentators have suggested it's the same miracle of the 5,000. But, but listen, more than one gospel writer shares this story, and, and they're not going to get those details wrong. Now, this is another miracle, and it's showing us that he didn't do things one time. He did things again and again and again. He may have fed another group another time miraculously. We don't know. But this has too many differences to say it's the same, but there are too many similarities to say they should have remembered it, you know? So anyway, short memories... They look at their resources, their limitations, the circumstances, and they determine, well, there's no way to take care of this. So he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. I wonder if when he said this, and again, I try not to read into the scripture too much, but you know, Jesus is, is fully God yet fully human. And I wonder if he smiled at them when he's like, how many loaves you guys got? You know, and they're like seven. Did he wink, you know? Or, you know, thumbs up, you know, don't worry about it. That'll, that'll be plenty. It's only 4,000 people and the women and children, 4,000 men with the women and children. So he commands the multitude to sit down on the ground and the other miracle, they were told to do that. He takes it upon himself. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks. He blessed them. He broke them. He gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said to them also before them, set them, excuse me. Um, and so they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. And those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Listen, the, the baskets here suggest that this is primarily a Gentile crowd. How would I know that? Because the Jews carried not a basket, but more of like uh, something that would have been a knit bag, you know, uh, small enough to, to carry a few things, big enough that if you needed to stick some stuff in there, it, it would expand and you could carry more. The baskets here, they're large baskets, like big laundry baskets, that was more of a Gentile thing. And so just those words alone suggest uh, we're in a different region. We're dealing with different people. And if that's the case, and I say if, that means he's moving on. The rejection of the religious leaders, still going to minister to the hurting masses of Israel, still going to die for our sins in Jerusalem. But he spends a lot of time now in Gentile territory because it was to the Jew first. That had been happening. Now he's moving on to show, as he will later tell them, first go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Well, that's the vision. That's the plan. So now he's completed these three, these three scenes with people in need. They remind us that, that when we have a problem and, and we're not the solution, when we have a problem and it's bigger than our 
our resources or our, our even our, our, our imagination, how could we do something about this? We just bring them to Jesus. And I mentioned it earlier, interceding on behalf of others is aligning our hearts with his, connecting with him, joining him in intercessory prayer, since that's his primary ministry at this point in heaven. First, the desperate mom with the daughter possessed, controlled, key word, by a demon. Listen, for some here today, you have a daughter or a son or a spouse or a mother or a father or, or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a nephew, a niece, a friend. And it's not demons, but they're controlled by drugs or they're controlled by drunkenness or they're controlled by pornography. They started toying with it. It took control of them and now they can't get free from it. I want to say the only solution is bring them to Jesus. I'm not saying don't take them to AA or don't take them to NA. Don't get them help otherwise. What I'm saying is they are going to need Jesus in order to succeed. They can get sober. They can stop drugging, but they still need Jesus so they can have life, so they can fill that hole, that gap, that, that thing that consumed them with him. And so you bring them to Jesus in prayer and you do all you can to bring them to Jesus in life, in reality, so they can have life and that more abundantly. Again, as she came, the conversation was challenging, but the outcome was never in question. And I would say the same should be true for us. He told her it was done. She believed she went home to share the joy with her little girl. The second, a man who was deaf, he struggled to speak clearly. He's brought to Jesus, challenges our misconceptions on how, but he heals. And again, the outcome was certain. Matthew tells us at that point, many more with many different afflictions were brought to him. And you know, when one person escapes the life that was destroying them and devastating their relationships, those who know them best look on and watch because people are in need of hope and hope of real change. Again, no one demanded anything of him, she persevered, pleading. They begged him to touch their friend. Finally, the hungry crowd, no suggestion, any among them, and this is interesting in light of the other two, not them nor the disciples, expected a miracle. And it's a reminder that when we don't ask and, and, and uh, seek and knock, when we fail to, to come to him by faith, he's still gracious and merciful. He's still providing. If he waited for us to do the right thing, there'd be a lot of hurting, hungry people today. Oftentimes, he just moves in spite of us. And even then, we're like, wow, Lord, you are so good. You're so good. Jesus sees our needs. He knows what we'll pray before we ask. He knows what we need before we ask, seek, and knock. But he is gracious even when we don't. Finally, let me ask, do you know your mission statement? Do you know what God has called you to do and is equipping you for and will empower you to accomplish for him? Because if you don't, here's something you should do. Read through the scriptures. Why? Jesus found his mission statement in Isaiah. 
I don't know where yours is, but I can guarantee you it's in the scriptures. Until then, his moral will for all of us is the same. We're to be people of great and high morality and, and honesty and, and eth ethical and, and, and all we do, loving and merciful and gracious. That's for all of us, but he has something specific for you. And I want to raise your anticipation that he wants to show you what that is so you can be found faithful. The way that Jesus healed the deaf mute man was truly unusual. And I love Pastor Sam's comment about Jesus not wanting to create a pattern for us to follow because we are very susceptible to doing this kind of thing. Now God commanded us not to make images for us to worship, not even of him, lest we desire to worship the image and not the real God. In Numbers chapter 21, you will read about the bronze snake that Moses made and lifted up so that all who looked upon it would be healed of the poison from the poisonous snakes God had sent among the Israelites because of their complaining. Well, it didn't take long for the Israelites to start to worship and burn incense to the bronze snake until King Hezekiah had to destroy it. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.